What leaves tastes good like a beer should. You said it. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> Try a frosty cold glass of Bavarian right away. What you say? No boulder dash or baloney here. Cheers, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Gentleman. And now, with a higher BAC than your ABV, Greg, Scott, and Dan. Hey, everybody, welcome into the Unfiltered Gentleman. Just Greg here today. Thanks for joining in the fun and drinking along. I'm being joined by a very special guest today. I'm honored to have on Marcus Baskerville. He's the head brewer and co-founder of Weathered Souls Brewing down in San Antonio, Texas. Marcus, thank you for joining us today. Oh, man, thank you for having me. It's most appreciated. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, man. You've got a lot of press going on these days. Um, Marcus is the developer, and uh, really the brains, behind the Black is Beautiful beer project and collaboration that has sprung up and taken over the entire craft beer world as recent events have unfolded. We're going to talk to Marcus today. We're going to get a little background on him as a drinker and a brewer, get more details on the Black is Beautiful collaboration, and find out about the San Antonio beer scene. So let's start off with you as a drinker, especially a beer drinker. How did this all start for you? When did you get into craft beer? Really, what was your gateway beer? Uh, let's see. I got into beer around 23-ish, 24, uh, for craft beer pretty early. Reason being, um, you know, I'm originally from California, so huge craft scene there. Absolutely. Um, especially um, in Northern California. And so um, I want to say probably the, around the first beer that I had that you can consider craft at the time probably was Pyramid Hef. Okay. Uh, we had a local, we had a Pyramid Hef brewery downtown Sacramento. And then um, outside of that, it probably would have been getting into like more Heffenweizen, so like Widmere. And then from there, um, started visiting like BJ's. And then there was this another local place we used to go to. And so they had beers on tap that were like house beers. Right. Found out later on that they were brewed by uh, Firestone. Mm -hmm. So those were kind of our introductions into beer at that time for me. Um, And then probably outside of that, to get me into the whole like Pellels and IPAs would have been Sierra Nevada. So you have a, a very similar history to me as far as beer goes. I remember back in the day, every restaurant you went to seemed like they had their own beer on tap. And we find out like, yeah. oh, that's what became 805. Yeah, exactly. Everyone had their own honey blonde ale. It's like, oh, it turns out Firestone brews that. <laughs> it turns out they were brewing a lot of people's beer at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, now look at them. So I guess it made sense. And I remember back in the day when stuff like Pyramid and, and Woodward, those guys were craft and, and still kind of like, oh, look at that. We got uh, a half <laughs> on, on tap. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> That's kind of your gateway in. What was your gateway into brewing? Did you start homebrewing in college? What was what was the path? No, so uh, homebrewing for me started out of pure competition. <laughs> I have an older brother, and he had got like a Mr. Beer kit uh, for Christmas. And ended up brewing it, and it came out terrible. And it, it was like does. one of those things. Yeah, and it was like one of those things. Like, well, I can brew a better beer than you. Actually, I never even think starting out. I brewed on my own. We actually did two beers together, and then I ended up moving to Texas. At that point, kind of just kept with the home brewing, whole home brewing thing. I was working for uh, being a fraud manager for Citibank at the time. Okay. And I got to a point to where I was brewing about two beers a month. And then that increased to about four beers a month <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, so definitely got the brewing bug. 
um, in the process of that, ended up getting like a started bringing my beers to like other bars and breweries and stuff like that to get feedback, you know, see what people thought. And when people um, started liking my beer more than some of the local places, I was like, maybe I should take it a little bit further. So I got an assistant brewing job at another local place, kind of learned so more so what not to do than what to do. Right. Um, you know, I went through that whole stage, worked there for a year. I was kind of unhappy working there because it was one of those situations where you couldn't branch out, experiment, do your own thing or, you know, that type of stuff. Right. So my business partner now was involved with the other brewery. We used to go out, drink, uh, hang out and stuff like that, developed a friendship. One day we were out drinking and I was looked at him and said, when are we going to open a brewery? And he was like, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. And we probably started working on the business plan, I think, the next day. Wow. So how long so, did it take from that start of the business plan to opening up a brewery? It was about a year. Okay. That's, that's not too bad in the uh, the brewery world. No, no, no. It was about a year. And those uh, those early beers that you were taking around, I mean, they must have been good. But did you ever get into any sort of trouble for bringing outside beer into bars? Um, no. <laughs> Luckily, uh, nobody was negative about that aspect. Uh, most of the time, you know, we just bring it in, share it with the owners, employees, that type of stuff. Um, even as a home brewer, I had a tap takeover at a bar. I won't say <laughs> who. I let them keep all of the funds just to not you know, put myself in jeopardy of being in trouble for making money off a home brewer or anything like that. But outside of that, that event, you know, it was five corny cakes. So, and all five, I think tapped out within two and a half hours. And I think that's when I was like, all right, I think I can do this. (laughs) Yeah. It must be pretty good. And of course they're not, uh, they're not going to turn you away if you're letting them keep all the profits from it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Did you win any competitions early on in those days? So that was another thing. Did a couple homebrew, local homebrew competitions. Um, at the time, I think it was the uh, master brewer from Carbot killed one out here in San Antonio. Ended up winning that, and then um, which I never cashed in my trip to Carbot since they got <laughs> bought out. Oh man! And then San Antonio, they have a couple of different um, brewing clubs, right? And so Cerveceros goes a huge one during the uh, Christmas time. And I entered one of those and ended up winning. That's pretty awesome and, and pretty good yeah. so early on. So you've had no uh, formal education in brewing? No, no formal education in brewing outside of uh, volunteering, helping out, um, that type of stuff. What was the most important lesson you learned as an assistant brewer? Let's see. <laughs> in all honesty, that experience at that brewery was more so for me what not to do. Um, so for me, it was probably, uh, never having plastic tanks. (laughs) Once you have one infection in that plastic tank, it's probably time to get rid of it. Yeah. That or it's the sour tank forever. Yeah. Or it should be right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In theory, it's the sour tank forever. That's probably the, the biggest thing that I took away from there. Uh, most of the things that I've learned, um, as far as the whole brewing has been trial and error on my own and kind of just asking questions here and there when need be. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. On the job learning, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was your day job before you got into beer? I was a fraud manager for Citibank. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's not to say this in a negative way, but a fairly nerdy job to, to have before. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, I was in fraud prevention, dealing with check fraud investigation. Wow. So are you running numbers? Are you investigating people? What kind of? No. So this is like literally uh, investigation of people that do check fraud. Wow. I mean, that's quite the change 
in career? Huge change, yeah. Um, and especially then, I was about managing, I think, 20-something employees. And so it's a huge difference to go from that to running a brewery. Yeah, I always love talking to the brewers about what they used to do. You know, we had somebody on here that was an architect. We had somebody on here that worked for a pharmaceutical company. It's fun to see where they all come from. Yeah, okay. Everyone comes from something different. Like there's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's never a pattern, which is kind of cool. All right, before I want to talk a little bit about like the San Antonio scene and that sort of thing. Before we get there, I want to make sure we really dive into the Black is Beautiful collaboration. Can you just give us a little bit of history on like kind of how this came about? The Black is Beautiful collaboration came about, we're on the second week now. Mm -hmm. So literally that Saturday night to Sunday, um, I was trying to figure out a way to um, contribute to the, to the movement, to the cause as a Black business owner. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And so originally I was going to brew a beer, which was the Black is Beautiful. I had a label done for it uh, from Kevin Dyer. And I was just going to release the beer as a standalone beer. And this was going to be our support for, you know, the black cause. In the process of that, I was having a conversation with uh, Jeffrey Stuffings about like race relations and stuff like that earlier within the day. And so I had sent them the, that label later on that evening. Okay. From there, Jeff had challenged me to turn it into a collaboration. And I was like, you know what, Jeff, that's an outstanding idea. <laughs> so I spent basically that entire night formulating the mission statement of what I, because, you know, your mission statement is the basis of, of what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Right. So came up with a mission statement, was happy with that, got up about three, four o'clock in the morning, went to the brewery and started writing out the initiative. Got with Kevin, had him make some adjustments to the label, had him create a logo, and then basically presented uh, the initiative to my staff and my business partner at 11 a.m. that Monday. <laughs> and then we ended up posting it, I think, two hours later. Wow. That was the, the start of it. From there, you know, originally I had a goal of maybe 150, 200 people might get involved. You know, we're we're known, but we're not known like that. Right. So, I mean, the reception has been amazing so far. I think we're almost at 750 breweries. That's insane. And in fact, when I contacted you just over a week ago, I think it was like at 310. And just mm -hmm. that week, we've so, over 400 more breweries have jumped on board. Yeah, so the numbers are steadily climbing. The brewing community is definitely showing their support. The initiative for the basis of it was basically to create a collaboration to support inclusion and equality. Um, and then outside of that, you know, the beer is the message and then we're going to take 100 percent of those proceeds uh from each of the from whoever brews it and they're going to donate it to a local organization a local foundation that supports police brutality reform and uh legal fees and so from there what my goal is is that this is creating that conversation this is creating that openness amongst those breweries now with their local communities uh because you know there's always that the aspect of the brewing community isn't that inclusive because it's mostly Caucasian white male. Right. But based off of my experience, I know that it's one of the most inclusive industries in the world. It's just the majority of the people in the industry are Caucasian white males. Right. So outside of that, I knew that some people were going to get involved. I just didn't expect that it was going to get this big. You know, it's going to put these breweries at a forefront within their communities now locally 
to create these conversations and these dialogues with people of color and other black people and hopefully, you know, create some change within our industry, but not even in our industry, it's going to create change within these communities because now these breweries are giving back locally and now they're going to be looked at as leaders for their communities. And it might go a little bit further than just the beer in itself. Yeah, I know a lot of breweries are starting to take a little bit of a you know social media flack for not making any sort of stance or statement on this. So I think this is a, a very bold statement for those that do decide to go and, and jump for they're they're kind of saying this is what we're all about yeah exactly so i you know that whole taking a stance and posting black on your on your screen is fine and dandy but right. that's not making change that's not doing anything so what the real situation here is even with the beer in itself being brewed the stout that's not really creating change it's the steps after the beer is created that is going to create the change that we need yeah the the awareness that it creates kind of the uh, well of course the donations that come out of it will Exactly. Those are the catalysts for what's to come after. Yeah. Uh, my friend Christine over at Women's Beer Collective wanted to ask how many days, and we touched on this a little bit, from the very beginning idea to the, the very end with art and everything being done, what was what was that time period? It was less than 24 hours. That's insane. That's that's a lot to come up with in less than 24 hours. I, um, I have a tendency to when I dedicate myself towards something, I kind of take it past 100%. So once I decided that was something that I wanted to do, I basically spent the rest of my time doing that. That's amazing. And yeah. how important to you was the actual beer recipe itself? Very important, especially because we're more so known for our stouts. Okay. So I was like, you know, I can't put out a shitty stout recipe <laughs> and then, you know, have people brew shitty stouts across the United States. Basically, I simplified one of our previous stout bases to make it a little bit simpler for breweries and then took out the additional sugars that we typically use within our stouts. So people can go ahead and add them if they want. Uh, they can get creative as they want. But basically, I just wanted to create a foundation, like a base stout foundation. And then these breweries, especially, you know, now we have some of the top breweries in the world participating in this initiative, some of the stop, top stout producers in the world participating in this initiative. I want to be able to see what creative aspect they could bring to it. So this recipe is basically the canvas and then everybody else has their paintbrush and they're free to get as creative as they want with it. Yeah, that's amazing. I know, speaking of uh, stout breweries, that McKellardin in San Diego just jumped on board. Oh, okay. They're always turning out crazy stouts. Yeah, they're involved, uh, perennial, forager. There's a lot of good stout breweries that are going to be pushing some stuff out. Yeah, this is going to be a, a real fun, uh, you know, to try even just from a beer standpoint, to try all the different collaborations that come out. Yeah, exactly. One of the more important things about this is you have three things that you've been asking breweries that participate in this to do mm -hmm. uh, in order to participate. What are those three things? One is the 100% of proceeds. Uh, the other one is to basically create, develop change. And then we added a third one. Commit to the long-term work of equality. Yes, so... Basically, what I was saying, like I was saying earlier, you know, dealing with the overall stature of just the beer in itself, that's only one part of it. So, you know, taking those for breweries to take the steps after that beer is created and go ahead and continue with change and development for their community. Fremont posted something recently um, where they're going to go ahead and implement like equality classes and um, uh, different little programs to implement within their brewery. So those are the changes that we're talking about, you know, past the overall beer and past when this initiative is over, because, you know, uh, 
inequality is not going anywhere overnight. Right. And and along those lines, we've seen locally to me, uh, a brewery by the name of Topa Topa has, has instituted very similar policies. And it's really nice to see. Oh, okay. Yeah. When you were releasing this and putting it out to the public, did you have any worries about this? Um, originally, it was more so how can I articulate this to not upset my customer base? Okay. Uh, because, you know, my customer base is middle-aged white men. Mm-hmm. So it was more so just trying to formulate this to, you know, basically not have people, f- well, on two perspectives. So on the uh, black and people of color perspective, you don't want them thinking that you're trying to capitalize off the movement, sure. right? So that's what the, that's why it's 100% of proceeds. You know, nobody's capitalizing off of what we're trying to do. And then outside of that, on the other end of the spectrum with Caucasian people, you know, it's that whole, well, what about all lives matter and all that other crap? Right. So it's you want to you basically want to articulate it away for them to understand without them, you know, feeling some type of anger behind the message that you're trying to create. Um, but outside of that, once it was written, I was like, you know what? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to let it ride. And that's how it should be. Yeah. Is there something along these same lines that home brewers can jump on board with? Yeah. So Annie Johnson, uh, she was 2013 Home Brewer of the Year, actually uh, created the Home Brew recipe. And that's available on the website as well for uh, home brewers to go on. Oh, nice. Um, and then I know there's places like Brooklyn Brew Shop who actually created a uh, kit that you can purchase. And then half of the proceeds go to an organization that they chose. Uh, so they have prepackaged Black is Beautiful kits available now. That's really awesome. Which is crazy because I know as a home brewer, my first year home brewing, I bought a Brooklyn Brew kit. Mind you, I never used it. Sat on my uh, <laughs> oh, no. refrigerator for like two years, uh, just because I ended up. Like I said, I go kind of go all in with everything. So from jump, I think my fourth beer, I was formulating my own recipes. Oh wow! At least attempting to. Right. From there, I was learning how to create my own recipes and stuff like that. So I never used any of the prepackaged kits. And so it's crazy, like, to go full circle like that. You buy a kit as a home brewer, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're making one all of a sudden. But years later, you know, they're producing one of your recipes as a kit. Yeah, that's insane. And and I remember those days of trying to create my own recipes early on. It's like, hey, this is batch number four. I'm sure I can create my own recipe. <laughs> Why does this taste like green apples? Yeah, right. Oh, God. Those are horrible days. Other than the Black is Beautiful collaboration, what can the craft beer community as a whole, not just breweries, kind of do to bring awareness to the cause and the injustices and everything that's going on right now? So, like we said, you know, implementing these programs in the brewery, teaching their staff, uh, their employees about inclusion and equality, internships, implementing programs within the community to uh, have people of color invest in your brewery. You know, when it boils down to it, a lot of the reasons why we don't have a lot of African-Americans and people of color in the craft industry as consumers is because typically it's not marketed to us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, you look at mass produced beer and the marketing that's done, even with craft beer, you think of white male with a beard, you know, it's not typically marketed to African-Americans and people of color. So creating marketing towards people of color is going to help doing things like that, putting your best foot forward and actually taking initiative and action 
Another thing is understanding and conversation. So creating these conversations with people of color and just listening and understanding uh, their situations locally within your neighborhood. Um, those are all different things that can assist in the cause. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The I think the stereotype of the average craft beer drinker is the chubby white dude with a big beard. Uh-huh. It's more than us chubby white dudes with beers. I mean, a lot <laughs> exactly. of people drink beer and I, it, you know, it'd be nice to uh, create some other advertising around that as well. You are, like you said, from California. You're in Texas now. How did the San Antonio craft scene react to the the program? San Antonio's craft beer scene has been incredible um, participating in the initiative. We've had, I think, every brewery here but two reach out. Wow, that's a pretty good response. Yeah, amazing response. I mean, even... A brewery that we have a little rivalry with, they went ahead and, and hit us up at like one thirty in the morning, letting us know that they were going to participate. So, you know, San Antonio um, has been supportive. And then you even look at Texas as a whole. Yeah, I want to say we're close to 90 breweries or something like that for Texas. Wow. You figure Texas being typically what people think that the state is, you know, you wouldn't think the majority of people would probably participate in this initiative sure. and they're showing out. So, you know, like I said, the reception for this has been amazing, especially from Texas. I'd expect it more, a little more from California, but yeah, we'll see how uh, how it progresses. Come on, I mean, California. It's only, yeah, it's only the second week. And like we said, inequality is not going anywhere anytime soon. People think that there's limits on to how they can participate, but this initiative is wide open. And even then, we can't dictate people's production schedules and stuff like that. So it's more get in when you fit in. Yeah. So somebody brews this beer six months from now, it still doesn't take away from the message. It still doesn't take away from you donating to a local organization. And it still doesn't take away from the cause. So we're going to let this ride as long as we can. And it's true. You say it's not going away anytime soon. So there's no reason for this this collaboration to go away anytime soon either. Exactly. As schedules open up, as tanks open up, they can kind of jump on board and, and get on board with the collaboration. Yeah, and that's what the hope is. Yeah, that's amazing. A really good thing you've done. Um, I want to turn a little bit to kind of the San Antonio scene. I've never been to San Antonio. I've only landed in Texas for about two minutes, then got on a plane and kept going. What's kind of special about the San Antonio craft beer scene? How's it differ from other places? San Antonio craft beer scene is still emerging. Um, we're still pretty new to the overall uh, craft beer movement. I think when I moved here, there were seven breweries here, six or seven breweries here. Now I think we're at 20, 2021. But you figure San Antonio is the seventh largest city in the United States. So, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, that's not that many breweries. Yeah. It's kind of across the spectrum as far as what breweries do here. There's a lot of more of the traditional base beer. You know, San Antonio's a Dos Equis town. And then you have <laughs> breweries like us that kind of go across the spectrum, do some fun stuff, experiment. You have uh, breweries like Isla Street, who's a local Mexican brewery that does the same. A lot of experimentations, but a lot of their creations are um, Mexican culture driven. But then outside of that, there's a couple of new breweries that are starting to get into more of the experimentation and fun stuff. But the majority here is more traditional. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. And that's that's really cool. And it's always yeah. fun to see kind of where they start and, and how they grow. And eventually you'll be the next San Diego, maybe. Yeah. How has weathered souls, uh, well, this horrible pun, not weathered the storm, but uh, gotten through the whole COVID situation? Our local community has been fantastic um, as far as supporting us and making sure that we survived during the pandemic. 
Uh, we were able to hold on to all of our employees. Um, we were able to basically shift focus. So before we were kind of heavily um, distro driven. Mm-hmm. We were pushing out about 80 to 100 barrels of our West Coast IPA a month. Okay, wow. So we had to find ways to compensate, you know, not producing these large mass amounts of beer and losing out on that money. So basically, I moved to like a small batch format of doing um, a whole bunch of small batch beers, releasing two, three, four beers every Friday. And then, you know, it amounts to anywhere between five, six to 10 barrels. Um, So being said that, you know, those releases were selling out within a minute to five minutes, and City's been supporting amazingly. Matter of fact, I just purchased new t- two new tanks during the pandemic. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's been good. That's what you like to hear, and you must have good beer because uh, Untapped, your overall brewery score is four point zero one. And we have yeah, and it's like forty six thousand reviews. Yeah, to have over a four on Untapped is actually, it's it's pretty good because people are are mean on there. Yeah. It's just be the most ridiculous stuff. I'll be like, oh, this IPA is too bitter. And it's a West Coast IPA. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. We we told you it had 100 IBUs in it. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, the label says it has 86 IBUs. What do you just think it was going to taste like? Yeah, we were waiting for the milkshake IPA. <laughs> yeah, people are insane. Uh, has, has there been any good, I don't know, innovations or programs that have come out of the COVID situation? Uh... Has instituted any new programs or you know beer delivery or anything like that no so we did do uh implemented curbside and um, we're probably going to keep curbside indefinitely yeah. uh that was very a very good lucrative move for us not so our neighbors when we're having releases and um there's 30 40 cars lined up to get in the parking <laughs> lot but outside of that you know the curbside thing worked out pretty well that's awesome what are uh, your inspirations what do you what do you think about when you're coming up with new recipes Typically, I used to get my inspiration from listening to old Kanye songs. I used to typically, uh, on brew days, listen to nothing but Kanye. Uh, Now, inspiration for new beers typically come from flavor profiles from, like, childhood, uh, fun stuff that you want to do as an adult. Like, we have a margarita series going right now. A different, like, little fun margarita stuff. I mean, it just kind of depends with the flow of things in all honesty it's like the most random stuff like i'll be sitting on the toilet in the morning or something and be like hey uh and like my my staff will tell you i'll send them a text 6 30 in the morning hey we're gonna do this this week you know that type of thing so you know it's just it just kind of depends what i have going on i like that i want to wrap things up with one more question and then a, a quick series of rapid fire questions what is a brewery pet peeve of yours my biggest brewery pet peeve would probably be people walking on my brew floor. Oh yeah. So we have a brew floor door that has access to the to the outside, and so you know uh, we'll have staff instead of going through the bar. We'll have vendors or whatever the case may be when this door is open. Just take liberties of walking through the door instead of going through the front door. And you know we have it could be during a brew day, me cleaning tanks, so it's having chemicals on the brew floor, all types of stuff. And it's like, really, like, just show some respect and walk around. Yeah. Keep your ass off my brew floor. <laughs> I mean, it could be chemicals. It could be hoses. It could be anything. Anything, yeah. That's uh, that's really dumb of them. Yes. Keep your ass off my brew floor. <laughs> I like that. That that should be uh, like a text tone. Dr- whenever somebody sends you a text, it's just you saying, keep your ass off my floor. <laughs> that would be perfect. Um, all right. One thing I like to do when I end all the shows with brewers is a series of rapid fire questions. Okay. Don't think about them too hard. Just the first answer that comes to mind. What's the first beer you ever drank? Pyramid Heath. First beer you ever brewed? 
Um, a hot slam clone. What's the first beer that you brewed and sold? It would have been Spody Odie Hopalicious. So it would have been a hazy IPA. All right. What's your favorite style to make? Stouts. Cans or bottles? Cans. What's your favorite beer and food pairing? A stout and steak. Ooh, that's a good one. It's Tuesday night. What are you drinking? Uh, industry Pills by Live Oak. What is your beercation destination? Belgium. What is your favorite non-Weathered Souls beer? Industry Pills and Pliny. Favorite not, non-beer hobby? I'm drinking bourbon. <laughs> I like that. What is your favorite guilty pleasure beer? So like your you know crappy beer that you still drink? Uh, would probably be a Modelo. And finally, what's your favorite slang word for being drunk? I don't actually typically get drunk, uh, but if it was going to be one, I would probably say plastered. It's a good one. Solid. Everyone knows it. Everybody who's listening, do not forget to check out blackisbeautiful.beer, and you can check out the brewery website at weatheredsouls.beer and at Weathered Souls Brewing across the board on social media, Weathered Souls on Twitter. And if you're in the San Antonio area, 606 Embassy Oaks, number 500, go have some beer that's rated well over four on Untapped, so you know it's good. Marcus, thank you so much for, for the time and for hanging out with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers, sir. One last cheers and thank you to Marcus for taking the time to talk to me about Weathered Souls Brewing, as well as the Black is Beautiful beer collaboration. That's originally how I found out about him and Weathered Souls. I think it's a really important project that they're doing and that a lot of breweries are jumping on board with. I hope you'll seek it out, find out what breweries in your area are either jumping on this collaboration or doing important things to enact changes in the craft beer community and in their local community. Beer is really about community. And as you find these collaborations, I hope you'll tag us in them on social media. We want to see everyone getting their hands on some of these Black is Beautiful collaborations. I, in fact, have already pre-ordered mine from Firestone, and I know a couple other local breweries that are working on some as well. So I'm excited to try all of them. So please, please, please tag us. You can find us at theunfilteredgentleman.com, at theunfilteredgentleman on the social medias, except for Twitter, at unfilteredgents. And don't forget to drunk dial us, 805-538-BEER-2337. So until next time, I hope everyone is staying very well hydrated. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.